Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're uh, continuing through our series looking at the life of David. Who is uh, David was a great man of faith in, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. He's the second king of Israel. And we have been following his life from the, from the time that he has been appointed to be king of Israel. And we have been following him for several weeks. And we still have not gotten to the point where he becomes king. And uh, we're getting closer and closer to that moment. Today is a, is a big step in that direction. Uh, we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 31, as well as 2 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to do quite a bit of reading tonight, so bear with me, okay? Everyone get your reading caps on. Uh, you can follow along on the Bible app under events in your uh, regular Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 31, or the verses will be on the screen. So wherever you like to turn your eyes, the scripture will be there. 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse 1 says this, Now, the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Then the Philistines followed hard after Saul and his sons, and the Philistines killed Jonathan, Abinadab, Melchishua, all Saul's sons. The battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. Then Saul said to his armor bearer, draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust uh, through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw what Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. Oh. 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 1. Let's keep going. Now it happened, or now it came to pass, after the death of Saul, when David had returned from the slaughter of the Amalekites, and David had stayed two days in Ziklag, I heard it's nice this time of year. On the third day, behold, it happened that a man came from Saul's camp with his clothes torn and dust on his head. So it was when he came to David that he fell to the ground and prostrated himself, meaning he came to David in great reverence. And David said to him, where have you come from? So he responded to him, I have escaped from the camp of Israel. Then David said to him, how did the matter go? Please tell me. And he answered, the people have fled from battle. Many of the people are fallen and dead. And Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead also. So David said to the young man, who, to who told him? How, or excuse me, who told him? How do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his sons, are dead? Then the young man who, who told him said this, As I happened by chance to be on Mount Gilboa, there was Saul leaning on his spear. And indeed, the, the chariots and the horsemen followed after him. Now, when he looked behind him, he saw me and called to me. And I answered, Here I am. And he said to me, 
Who are you? So I answered to him, I'm an Amalekite. And he said to me again, Please stand over me and kill me, for anguish has come upon me, but my life still remains in me. So I stood over him and killed him, because I was sure that he could not live after he had fallen. And I took the crown that was on his head and the bracelet that was on his arm, and I have brought them here to you, my Lord. Therefore David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. Then David said to the young man who told him, Where are you from? And he answered, I'm the son of an alien, an Amalekite. So David said to him, How was it? that you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed. Then David called one of the young men and said, Go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. So David said to him, Your blood is on your own head, for your own mouth has testified against you, saying, I have killed the Lord's anointed. Let's pray and we'll talk about it. Lord God, I thank you so much for your word. Lord, I thank you for that sweet time of, of worship and, and being in your presence. Lord, I pray that your presence and your spirit would just, uh, Lord, you would make yourself comfortable in this place tonight. Lord, I pray that we would be able to sit and be in your presence and listen to you and hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would speak to us clearly tonight. Lord, I pray that that still small voice of yours would be heard over the, the noise of my microphone or the music. Lord, that we would have an encounter with you here and now tonight. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Amen. Uh, I'm a super emotional person, like incredibly emotional. Um, However, I am horrible at expressing my emotions. I'm, well, I don't know if this is an emotion. I'm good at expressing, like, distaste, like, yuck, or ew, or no, that's lame, or, like, really? You know what I mean? But as far as, like, the good things in life, like, joy, or, like, satisfaction, or, like, happiness, or, like, cheer, like, that's not me. Like, call me when, when you want to complain about something, and I can express all the bad emotions. But most of the time, what's going on is just, like, knots and twists and weird stuff going on in my stomach. And I don't quite know how to, like, manifest it in actions, because it kind of feels just like, <laughs> and And so when the good things happen, I don't quite know how to express my emotions. Um, you know, I'll just keep talking about myself because it is what it is. My, uh, has anybody ever heard of the love languages? Uh, the five love languages. Most people have like two that are their, their most common. Me, it's words of affirmation. So please tell me how much you enjoyed church tonight. I would love that afterwards. And, uh, and, and gifts. I just love gifts and presents. And uh, I was having a conversation with Julianne the other day. We were talking about, like, our life, and we are talking about our budget, and we are talking about all this stuff. And uh, Julianne's like, you know, I think, you know, maybe we just do a little more modest Christmas this year. I was like, more modest Christmas? Like, why don't you just kill me? Like, it's just, that's my favorite thing 
in the world is this presence, but I'm so bad at expressing like gratitude and thankfulness and joy when someone gives me something. Like my worst nightmare is like when you were a kid or like, thank goodness I don't have to have like a baby shower, a bridal shower, where like you sit in the chair, you know, and everyone's circled around you and gives you presents and you're like, oh my gosh, like, thank you. You know, that's just literally my worst nightmare. And uh, one time, Julianne, she got me this super thoughtful gift. She got me a a concert to, this is so cringe, but it was 2016, uh, to Chance the Rapper. And yeah, oh, yeah, the big day hadn't come out yet. Cut me some slack. So she gives me this gift, and it was so thoughtful, and it was like I was super into it and super excited, and I'm just like, oh, 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 thanks. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, oh, this is great. This is awesome. She's like, what's wrong? I'm like, I don't know. This is awesome. This is great. (laughs) She's like, I I like thought about you and got you. No, this is great. I'm so happy. I'm stoked. She's like, are you (laughs) Like, I'm not good at, at, like, reacting to things, especially not reacting to things properly or quickly. Um, Here in this story, we see David's initial reaction to some pretty incredible and insane news for him. Because the past, uh, like, 13 or so years, from the time that David was appointed the king of Israel to now when this moment happens, so much has happened to David and so many bad things have happened to David. He's been, he, someone has tried to kill him. Someone is hunting him. He lost his family. He lost his job. He lost his place that he was living. He is living in a cave. He is living with these people. They all turned on him. David's life has been miserable, and it's all because of this man, Saul. Saul has turned on David and is hunting David, and David has been promised the throne of Israel, but instead his life is miserable, and it's all because of Saul. Saul is the only thing that's standing in the way from David having this miserable and horrible and sad life to to living in a palace on a throne, ruling over people, being fanned with palm fronds and being fed grapes. The only thing that's standing in between is this person, Saul. So we read in chapter 31, we read of the death of Saul. Saul is in battle against the Philistines and the Philistines surround him and they overcome him and they, are, they wound him greatly. They kill some of his sons and Saul says, I don't want to die by the hands of the Philistines. So what does Saul do? He falls on his own sword and he dies. But then the story gets kind of interesting, doesn't it? We, we read in chapter 31, Saul, he, he calls to his armor bearer, come kill me. And the armor bearer is like, no, I'm not going to do that because I love you. I respect you. So Saul kills himself. The armor bearer kills himself. And we're told that Saul is dead. Then in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, we're introduced to this new character, the Amalekite. The Amalekite comes in. He's wearing dirty clothes. He's wearing dust on his head as if he is mourning over the death of Saul. And he comes to David and he says, this is what happened. Saul was in battle. And I saw him on his sword, and he cried out to me. And he says, hey, you, come over here and kill me. And so the, the, the guy comes over, he kills Saul, and he takes the, the, the jewelry and the crown and brings it to David. And he says, this, 
I believe you dropped this king, right? If I can shout out that meme real quick. You know the one I'm talking about with Mario. Here, you dropped this. And he, and he gives him the, the crown and the jewelry. And it's, it's pretty interesting because in, in chapter 31, the narrator, the author of, of 1 Samuel, which is the same author of 2 Samuel, he doesn't include that detail of the Amalekite coming. To me, it almost seems like this Amalekite is trying to get David's favor and telling him, hey, look, I killed Saul and I brought you his crown because you deserve it. Because, because you have been anointed. And that guy that was persecuting you, that guy that was hunting you down, that guy was chasing after you, look, I killed him. Here's your crown. It almost seems like this Amalekite is trying to, to kind of swoo David into maybe a promotion or something else. But David's reaction is something that I think none of us would expect. David's reaction to hearing the news of the death of Saul is he tears his, tears his clothes and begins to weep. He, he, is, he is heartbroken that the king of his land would be killed. It is shocking. It's not what we'd expect. It's this great enemy of David's that has been killed and David is mourning the loss of his king. We see in David's initial reaction from the death of Saul two insane, incredible, great, practical keys that we need to pull from David's life so that we could follow Jesus more closely. And the first thing that we see in his re reaction is a demonstration of love. In his initial reaction, we see a demonstration of love. Saul is by every definition, an enemy of David. He has ruined his personal life. He has ruined his work life. He is literally trying to kill him. He has thrown his spear at him multiple times. He has taken his friends away. He has put him in a place where he is no longer living in his own country, exiled into caves on the outside. Saul is David's enemy, but David chose to love and to care for his enemy. He exemplifies what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 5, in verse 43. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain to the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you uh, do more than others? Do not even the tax collector do that also? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus tells us that if we want to be followers of him, if we want to live differently in this world like we're called to, we need to prioritize loving our enemies. David, he, he mourns over the death of not his enemy, but of his king. David exemplifies this and lives this out. 
But enemies are kind of a funny idea because we don't really use that word often. Like we're like, oh, no, I don't like, you know, whatever, Dustin. That guy's my enemy. You know what I mean? Like I've never once said that about Dustin, you know. Um, like we don't just use that term like, oh, no, that, he's been acting like my enemy lately. Drake has a song about it, so, but that was, like, again, from 2016, so, you know, no one listens to it anymore. But, so enemies is a funny idea. Honestly, when I read this from Jesus, he's like, love your enemy. I'm like, oh, I don't have any enemies. Do I need to go make enemies now so that I can love them? And, and, and Jesus, he, he's, not, he's not saying, like, enemies, like people that are like David being hunting us or trying to kill us or just like trying to ruin our life but we live in a world that has where we have some enemies we have some people who are opposed to us people who are opposed to us personally or they live different we have enemies in our world today like people who disagree with us politically have kind of turned into enemies in some people's mind or people who have wronged us or say stuff behind our back or people who don't fully support and affirm the decisions we make have kind of become enemies in our culture today or even us as Christians, we might see people who don't follow God or his values as enemies and we feel like those people need to stay away from us. Those people are opposed to us. Those people live differently than us. And so I need to build walls and barricades around my life to make sure that these people that I disagree with or don't fully agree with or these people that, that don't like me, that they stay away. And what Jesus says is those people that you disagree with, those people who you, you don't uh, fully get behind or fully support, you need to love those people. Jesus said that you would be my disciples, my disciples would be known by their love for one another. That we as Christians are called to love each other as Christians and to extend our love outside of the people who agree with us and into the people that disagree with us or look differently than us or even live differently than us. That we are to love them. And it's a, it's a different kind of love. It's not a love that is like, yeah, you do whatever you want. I fully support you. But a love that's I'm, I'm there with you. I want to show the love of Jesus. I make mistakes and I do wrong things too, but I'm going to be with you through that. And, and loving our enemies looks like being close to them. We should be around people that think differently than us. We should be around people that look differently than us. We should be around people that maybe land in different camps on certain things, ways of thinking, but what we should do is extend the love of Jesus to those people. And David, he does such a great example where this enemy, he is, he is gone, he dies, and David is mourning his loss. Why? Because he loved him and he cared about him. And we need to do the same for people who are different from us. In kind of that same breath that Jesus says to love our enemies, he says this earlier in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. 
This passage is kind of interesting. Um, I've never been slapped in the face by a stranger. I've never gotten in an altercation with someone that I don't know that has resulted to me getting hit. The only people in my life who have ever hit me in the face are my brothers. The only people that have ever physically harmed me in that way are the people that I am closest to. Because getting slapped in the face, you need to be close to someone. And Jesus, he brings this idea of enemies that we so often kind of, uh, kind of separate from our life. Or we kind of like, oh yeah, those are my enemies. And we kind of think about you know, people that we disagree with. And okay, I'm going to love my enemy. I'm not going to write a mean comment on someone's Instagram. Or I'm not going to initiate a political debate in their comment section. I might chime in if it's already going. But I'm not going to start it. And we can think that, oh, I'm loving my enemy because I'm just going to be quiet on social media when I see it. But Jesus makes this incredibly personal. It's a close kind of altercation. And I think in my life, the people that have hurt me the, the most are the people that I'm closest to. In the words of the famous thinker John Mayer, he said, hurt me once, hurt me once, I'll let it be. Hurt me twice, you're dead to me, but hurt me three times, that makes you family. And I think in my life, the people that have hurt my feelings the most, the people that have physically hurt me the most, the people that I have the hardest times with are the people that I'm most close to. The reality is, is that the people have to be close to hurt us. Parents who fail us or abandon us or friends that backstab us or siblings that exclude us or forget about us or friends that that ditch us and move on or whatever it is. So often the enemies, I guess, by the definition would be the people that we're really the closest to. And Jesus says, when you get hit in the face, when you've been hurt, you need to turn your other cheek. You need to be willing to be hurt again. And that's love. Being there with someone and working things out, disagreeing with someone, but being willing to forgive and to be hurt again because I am a follower of Jesus and I'm going to be close and I'm going to be there through things and I'm going to be there through disagreements or, or hard things and even someone that, that doesn't like me, I'm going to choose to love them. That's what David did. David had an enemy, but, but Saul saw David as an enemy, and David never saw Saul as an enemy. And that's the view that we need to have. We need to see people the way that God sees them, as image bearers, as people who have been fearfully and wonderfully made, knit together in, the, in their mother's womb for, for the believer and the non-believer, for the people we agree with and disagree with, for the people we like and we don't like, we are going to love them. The second thing that G, uh, excuse me, David demonstrates is how to wait on God. How to wait on God. David, he, he gets so upset with this Amalekite that he puts him to death. He's like, he, he, he freaks out. He says, how come you weren't afraid to put your hands on the Lord's anointed? He says, he says how come you killed the man 
that was appointed by God to rule over this land. That's David's reaction. I'm sure the Amalekites like, whoa, this did not. It's like freeze frame. He's like, I'm, I wonder how, or I bet you're wondering how I got here. It's like, like, that is not what we'd expect. I would expect like, you killed Saul? Oh my gosh, I've been wanting to do that for years. Like, you got me the crown? Like, oh my gosh, you keep the bracelets, keep the jewelry. You're going to be my vice president. Finally, I can be the king. Finally, I can do this. And David's like, no, what are you thinking? You killed the Lord's anointed. Like, what was, was anything going through your skull when you did that? And David's reaction is, is crazy because David didn't want to take God's timing into his own hands. He was appointed by God when he was a young man to, to be the king. And for years he had been waiting. And for many times David has had the opportunity to force his way to the throne. We looked at it a couple weeks ago where David is living in the cave and Saul comes in by himself. And David goes and one of, one of his, David's men says, you should go kill him right now and you'd be the king. David goes up to him and he slices the hem of his garment and he goes up to Saul and he says, look, I could have killed you and I didn't. And even still, David felt guilty for laying his hands on the king. And a second time in 1 Samuel chapter 26, David said uh, that similar situation happens where Saul comes close to David and, and one of his men says, says, you should go kill Saul right now. You'd become king. And David says this. David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall strike him or his day will come to die or he shall go in battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But please take now the spear and the jug of water that are by his head and let us go. Again, Saul comes close and they say, go kill Saul. And he says, forbid that I touch the Lord's anointed because his time will come. And Saul was, or excuse me, David was unwilling to take the timing of God into his own hands. I think so often we get impatient waiting on God's timing. We get so impatient waiting for God to do what he has promised to do. We hear promises of joy in the Bible or peace in the Bible. Or we hear promises of like, like community and connection. Or we hear promises of, of assurance as we're walking into our future. And we hear all those things and you're like, when is it going to happen for me? And we get so impatient waiting on God to do what he has told us he's going to do that we feel the need to take it into our own hands. Start manufacturing our life. Start making our own decisions and rushing what God wants to do in us. But David is unwilling to take the timing of God into his own hands because he is, he is waiting on the Lord. And waiting on God looks like being faithful in your present moment. So often we hear like, oh, I'm just going to wait on God. And it's not just sitting there and doing nothing. It's not just literally like, okay, I'm going to sit and wait on God for, you know, 30 seconds. And God didn't do anything. 
And, and I'm like, okay, well, I'll try again tomorrow. I'll wait on God for 30 seconds and then just do whatever I want all day. But waiting on God, what it looks like is being faithful in your present moment. If we want to have a good career and be, be successful, well, we need to be good students. If we want to be a, a, a good boyfriend or a good girlfriend, well, we need to be good at being single. If we want to be a good mother or a father, then we need to first be a good son or a daughter. If we want to be successful with platform and influence, then you need to first be a good friend. And if we want, we want the things of God in the future that we, that we, well, we need to be faithful right here and right now. Jesus says, you, you who are faithful with little will be faithful with much. And sometimes we expect like, yeah, I'm going to start fully going for it and start fully loving people and being an example. You know, once my life is, is like bigger, once I've got like a job or once I'm at school or once I do this, then I'm really going to start investing. And, and how we wait on God, how we wait for God's instruction is we are faithful where we currently are. But taking time, the timing into your own hands looks like neglecting where you are and constantly striving for the future. You know, one day I'm going to be happy, you know, when I have all this. Or, you know, once I go off to college, I'm out of my parents' house, then everything's going to be good. Once I finally get that girl to text me back, then my life is going to be so great. And, and let me tell you, you need to invest where you are and be faithful in the place that God currently has you. But we also need to remind ourselves of the promises of God and have people that do the same. This lesson of, of waiting on God was, uh, was something that David learned. In uh, second, or 1 Samuel chapter 25, just the, the chapter right before David says, God forbid that I lay my hands on the Lord anointed. His time will come. The chapter right before that, David and his men are hungry. And they reach out to this guy named Nabal and say, I need food. This man is of great power and great wealth. And they're like, come, give me, give me your food. Give me your sheep. And it, it's the house of David and Jesse. Like, like, I'm the king, you know, like name dropping himself. And the man replies like, why would I give you food? I have no idea who you are. And David gets all angry, and he tells his men, he's like, boys, suit up, grab your swords, we're going to go kill this guy. And while they're getting ready, like, I imagine they're just so angry, like, putting on armor. It's like, come on, you know, like, pumping each other up, like, hitting each other in the chest, you know, what soldiers do, probably. And, and while this is happening, uh, this, this servant, or this, the wife of Nabal comes to David with this extravagant gift and, and all these things. They say, please don't kill this man. He says, because God has promised that the house of you, my Lord, will, will grow and be powerful and no one could stand against it. And, and this woman comes to David and he says, don't do this. Don't go by your own strength because God has promised to grow your house. Don't do this. God has promised you something. And David's response is this. 
Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to me. And blessed is your advice and blessed are you because you have kept me from this day from coming to bloodshed and for avenging myself with my own hand. And then in the next chapter, David says, God forbid that I raise my hand against the Lord's anointed. It was a lesson that he learned from someone else. They say, hey, don't do that. God has promised you something better. Don't, don't forsake the promises of God for a couple sheep and a couple loaves of bread. Remember that God has something better for you. Worship team, you guys can come up as I wrap up. You need someone in your life that is willing to stop you and remind you of the promises of God. And if you don't have that person, allow me to be that person. Psalm 30, verse 5, it says this, Weeping may come at night, but joy comes in the morning. You may be going through a hard time, but there is a promise of joy on the other side. In Isaiah 26, verse 3, it says, God keeps those in perfect peace, all those whose mind is fixed on him. Peace will come as you stay close to God. The Bible describes this peace as a peace that surpasses all understanding. In Romans 8, 28, one of the most famous scriptures in the whole Bible, it says, God works all things together for the good of those who love and serve him. As we are faithful to God, God will always be faithful to us. And again in Romans it says this, nor, No height, nor depth, nor life, or death, or anything else can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. We may be impatient. We may be growing tired of waiting on God. We may not have enough strength to even be faithful with where we are with God. We're just willing to give up. Let me remind you that joy is promised and peace is promised and love is promised and God's presence is promised when we stay close to him. We need to endure and go through the difficulty and choose to love other people even when they don't do the same in return because we want the promises of God. We don't want the, the genetically modified version of life that we come up with on our own. Like, yeah, God, God has a future plan for me, but I'll get to my future quicker. God has a kingdom for me, like David, but, you know, a couple loaves of bread and a couple sheep, sheep sound really good right now. We need to be faithful with where we are. We need to stay close to God, and we need to keep our eyes fixed on him because his promises will come to pass.